All right, hey, you guys can have a seat. There's still some stragglers in our little corridors. You guys can find your way in. There's some seats down here up front. Hey, how y'all feeling tonight? Let's go. Awesome. Awesome. Well, um, let me just echo what Clayton said um, just for a moment. Um, There was, he intentionally left the prices off of all those mission trips. And the reason why um, is because what I I always tell people when I lead a trip, um, I have yet to see someone who the Lord has called to go on a mission trip that their trip was not fully funded. And it does not have to come from your own pocket. It Actually, I've never seen a college student pay for a whole mission trip from their own pocket. Um, You do this fundraising process, and the Lord just does this incredible work of showing you how faithful he is before you even get to where you're going. Um, So I would strongly encourage you guys, don't consider price. Lord, where do you want me to go? Circle that thing, name, phone number, email address, and we'll get to you. And um, just a, uh, what do they call that? Like a a shameless plug for India. So uh, it'll be a lot of fun. Um, Well, I'm excited to uh, get into what we're talking about tonight. I'm going to start by telling you a story. Actually, let me do one thing. Let me pause. Uh, on those mission trip papers, if you could write, I thought about this backstage. If you could write, uh, I'm going to give you two names to write. Um, write Fred and Melissa Campbell. Um, they're in Nepal. They're some missionaries. Josh is, um, one, is their son. He's here um, at Revive. Goes to UNG. So if y'all could be praying for them as well, there's some missionaries that uh, we want to support as well. So Fred and Melissa Campbell, and they are in Nepal. Now, um, I told you guys a few weeks ago that um, I just had a chance to lead a mission trip to Albania at the beginning of September. And uh, I want to tell you a story about that. It was an awesome trip. I had a, uh, a great time. We did, uh, I mean, it was so much fun. But there, something kind of unique happened. Um, I guess that when you go on a mission trip, or at least for me, when I go on a mission trip, I always come back with some sort of a sermon illustration. In Ecuador, it was the red light, green light story, if you heard um, that one. And uh, I got another one for you tonight. So I get off of, of the plane. We've been traveling all day. I mean, I am exhausted. Our team is exhausted. We got to Albania at like uh, 11 p.m. And um, so it, it's dark outside, and we walk out of the airport to find the car that was going, or the driver that was uh, going to be driving us to the orphanage where we were going to be working. And so three of us pile into the back seat. Man, we are, uh, again, like, <laughs> we're just not really with it. It's dark outside, but I notice the driver, he's got his hand up on the steering wheel, and I just see a little bit of shine on this guy's wrist. And I'm like, what is that? And there's like this sweet-looking watch on this guy's wrist. And I didn't really think much about it. I'm like, okay, I'm tired. Maybe I'm like hallucinating, but it looks like a really nice watch. So whatever. We go to sleep, wake up the next morning, and uh, we kind of get the the camp that we were doing rolling. And we're teaching this automotive class to some some kids. We're working at an orphanage, and so we're working with um, these kids who had really rough upbringings, right? Teaching them how to change oil in cars, how to change tires, just do basic maintenance stuff. And so this is, on this first day, we're teaching kids how to change tires. And I see a kid reach for a tire that was on the ground. Um, you know, he was about to grab it and, and change it. And I noticed that on his wrist, a little bit of shine too. And I look closer and the kid is, I'm not joking, he's wearing a Rolex. I said, I thought I was on a mission trip. Is this not an orphanage? Like, what happened? Um, you know, like, and, and I, I'd slowly, I start looking around and there are like Rolexes all over the place. Like the dude that drove us got a Rolex on. Like the, the director of this orphanage, they got a Rolex on. I'm like, 
did you guys find buried treasure? Or like, do y'all make a whole lot more than we do? Like, what is the deal? And so I end up, I, I walk over to the kid and I like point into his wrist. And I'm like, what is that? And he points at it. And he, sa- he smiles at me. He's proud. He says, fake. <laughs> and I'm like, I get it. Everybody's got fake Rolexes. Like, if you've ever been to New York City, Chinatown, it, that's what was going on. Like, uh, there you can buy all sorts of fake, like, Oakley sunglasses, designer purses, and uh, apparently fake Rolex, Rolexes. And so I'm like, can I get, like, five of those? Like, where's your dealer at, you know? Um, I didn't get any. But it, anyways, like, it, it was really crazy. Uh, like, everyone had something that looked really authentic, and from far away, you might be fooled, but the thing is, whenever you get up close, whenever you hear from them, like, you, you kind of know the truth. Like, yeah, it looks awesome, but it, it's not really authentic. And I think that's a really good picture of Christian culture today. Um, you know, I think that um, kind of similar to, to those uh, Rolexes, I think oftentimes we see people at church at Revive or on social media, who from far away, it looks like they have something real, but when you get up close, like the truth kind of kind of comes out. Like you, you see people who from far away, they look really happy. They look really content with their life, and uh, it looks like they're following Jesus, and like everything about life is, is incredible. But if you were to get up close, I, th- I think the truth might be a different story. Uh, maybe, maybe it's like, oh, th- this person seems to have incredible friends. They're surrounded by incredible community from far away. But when you get up a little closer, you realize that that's not quite, uh, quite true. They, maybe you look at somebody and you're like, man, this person absolutely seems to be in love with Scripture. Like they're always posting it on their Instagram. Like I think they have more quiet times than they do meals during a day. Like, I mean, they just look so spiritual. But you get close to them and, and you're like, okay, things aren't really all that they seem, right? I, I think for a lot of us, we, we might be familiar, maybe we've seen that before, uh, people who, I don't know, maybe, maybe they're putting on a show for others to see. Maybe they're so far into denial that they're actually like fooling themselves. Uh, but we've all seen that. And maybe for some of us in here, maybe that's you. Uh, like you've been, you've been going to church your whole life, you've been going through the motions, but if, if we were to really uh, like come up close, what we would see is not the, the, the picture that you've been painting. Uh, we would see that there's something that, that doesn't quite measure up. There's some degree of inauthenticity to your faith. I think it's a, it's a, real, it's a real truth and uh, that, that that is something that exists in Christian culture today, which is why tonight we're starting a new sermon series that we're calling Be Real. Ever heard of it? Be Real? I'm not on it, but it sounds really cool. Um, So Be Real is the sermon series that we're starting tonight. And I'll just tell you, the goal behind this series is this. It's that all of us would get rid of the counterfeit in our life. That we would get rid of the counterfeit in our life in exchange for the real thing that Jesus offers. Uh, And when when I say in exchange for the real thing, I I mean this. Like, I, I wonder if there's not people in here like you have a counterfeit faith. Like, like you've been going through the motions for so long, and, and maybe your faith, maybe it's not based on, on, on like really your relationship with Jesus. Maybe it's based on something that you're doing for your parents. Maybe it's based on something that you're doing for your friends. Maybe you have a counterfeit faith. Maybe you have counterfeit friendships. Maybe, maybe like 
you've kind of been fooling yourself into thinking that you just are surrounded by the best Christian community, but like if we were to really get below the surface, like all your friendships are really just shallow and they don't look like the community uh, that, that is really offered through Jesus and is seen in God's word. Maybe you have counterfeit trust. Like, like maybe for you it's really easy to say like when life gets difficult, oh man, I'm just, I'm just trusting in the Lord. But like deep down, trust is really, it's really difficult. And, and you're really not trusting in the Lord. Maybe you have counterfeit contentment. And that's what we're going to be talking about tonight, is real contentment. You know, I think about when it, I think when it comes to contentment, I think contentment is something that, like, ultimately we all want. I think it's something that everyone wants, but very few people have it. And tonight, we're going to see how to get it. So if you would grab your Bibles and turn to Psalm chapter 37. Psalm chapter 37 is where we're going to be tonight. And this psalm is a psalm that was written by King David. It's a psalm. Most of the psalms were written by King David. This is one of them. And there's really not a lot of research that's done on at what point in King David's life this psalm was written. But one thing that we do know is that this psalm was written at really right after a point in King David's life where he just went through a lot of discontentment. And the reason that he went through a lot of discontentment, according to what he wrote, is that he, he was frustrated that there were a lot of people in his life that he knew did not honor God with their life, but they just seemed like everything was really put together. And that caused David a lot of discontent. He was like playing the comparison game. He was frustrated. And so through spending time with the Lord, David really learned the secret to contentment. And he, really, and he documents it in Psalm chapter 37. Read with me in verses 1, through, 1 and 2. It says, fret not yourself. In other words, don't worry because of evildoers. Don't be envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Exactly what I just said. David is frustrated at these, or he's telling us, don't be frustrated at these evildoers, these people who do wrong, people who don't honor the Lord, uh, because these people, like, it's not worth comparing our life to theirs. More on that uh, in just a little bit. But really what, what we need to know from those verses now is this is a psalm about how to have real contentment. It's a psalm about how to have real contentment. And, and I think, again, I think this is something that most of us in here really don't have. Most of us in here don't have true contentment. And I think the reason that most of us don't know true contentment is, is because when life gets to feel out of control, the common thing in our culture is to try to strive for more control. But the thing that I think you're going to know tonight, like the, or that you'll learn tonight, this overarching truth of this psalm, is that more control doesn't lead to more contentment. More control does not lead to more contentment. And so we're going to dive in tonight. Uh, I think you'll see what, what I mean as we jump into this psalm. Tonight, we're going to look at three practices that produce contentment. Three practices that produce contentment from Psalm chapter 37. Let's start reading in verse 3. We're going to work through kind of the first part of this psalm together. Verse 3 says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. And that's our first practice that produces contentment in our life. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. That's our first point tonight. The first practice that produces contentment is the practice of trusting in the Lord. 
which sounds awesome. And it's something that we hear a lot. But it's one of those things that I wonder if we really do it. Like, do we hear it so much that we just think we do it? But do we really know what it actually looks like to trust in the Lord? Well, David kind of helps us. He helps us understand what it looks like to trust in the Lord by providing us a little illustration. You might not have picked up on it at first glance, but look in the second part of this verse. Uh, David says in in verse 3, he says, Trust in the Lord and do good. And then he says, Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. This, that word, or those words, befriend faithfulness, they can also be translated as feed on faithfulness. Some of your Bibles may even, they, they may even say, enjoy safe pasture. Anybody's Bible say that? Enjoy safe pasture? A lot of you. Um, so those words can be translated in, in a few different ways, but let me tell you what David's doing here. He's painting a picture for us. He, he says, if you want to understand like the first step to true, like real contentment, picture a sheep grazing in, in safe pasture a sheep grazing in safe pasture. That's the picture that he's painting here. Why? Because it's the job of a shepherd to lead sheep to safe pasture. Because not all pasture is safe. You guys know that? I mean, I know there's probably not many shepherds in the room, but like, like we know that. Like not all pasture is safe. And so it's the job of a shepherd to lead sheep to safe pasture because you, you have things like dirty water. Like if, you can't just let a sheep graze anywhere because uh, if the water's dirty, the sheep will drink from it and die. Uh, you have things like predators. If, you're, if they're not grazing in safe pasture, then the sheep uh, are really in a lot of danger of predators. Uh, you have things like, you know, is the soil fertile? Can things grow that sheep can feed on? It's the job of the shepherd to lead the sheep to safe pasture. Notice what I said. It's the job of the shepherd to lead the sheep to safe pasture. It's not the job of the sheep to take the shepherd to safe pasture. It's not the job of the sheep to like look at the pasture and make some suggestions. Like, you know, this, this looks good, but like maybe we could try over here. Like, that's, that's not what, what sheep do. It's not what any animal does, right? Like, you, if you have pets, you know that. Like, if anybody, how many of you, like, have a dog maybe back home, hopefully not on campus with you? Okay. Um, so many of you have dogs. Like, you know this. If you go to feed your dog a treat, like, your dog probably has not stopped you and been like, hang on one second. Like, what's in that? Just want to make sure it's going to sit right. Like, just want to check, make, you know, what's the ingredient list? Like, your dog's never done that. Matter of fact, if your dog's anything like my dog, my dog is, like, obsessed with bananas. And so if there is a banana eaten in my house, like my dog will follow the person around that has the banana. And it's like just expected 10% of the banana goes to the dog. It's like a tithe, right? And so that I, our, our dog, like he expects this. And when you give him the last piece of the banana, like you don't even get it down to his mouth. He's off the ground. He's taking it out of your hand and he does not chew it. He just swallows it in one bite. So he's probably, it's going to be death by banana one day. Uh, but, but we know this truth that animals aren't skeptical. They're trusting. Sheep aren't skeptical of their shepherd. They're trusting. That's why it's the job of a shepherd to lead sheep to safe pasture. What an awesome picture of what we should look like as we trust in the Lord. 
See, trusting in the Lord means having confidence in the fact that your shepherd only leads you to safe pasture. Uh, No matter what circumstance you're faced with, if it's the Lord leading you there, you can have confidence in the fact that he only leads you to safe pasture. Like, like if you found yourself in the, middle of this semester, in, in the middle of this semester and you've just got an incredible amount on your plate. Like, how in the world did I get here? I, I got so much to do, so little time to do it. And you feel overwhelmed, you feel discontent. If the Lord led you to do these things, like you can trust that your shepherd only leads you to safe pasture. So don't start freaking out and evaluating like, oh man, what do I need to drop? Like, look, if the Lord led you there, he only leads his sheep to safe pasture. Maybe for you, you you've like, you know, I don't, I don't know what it is for you. Maybe like you have no picture of the future. Maybe you've gotten to like, you're a junior, a senior, and you're like, man, I am no closer to getting a job than I was when I was in kindergarten. And I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do after I graduate from college. Has the Lord led you to where you're at? If, like, I, I understand it's really easy to get discontent, to get worried about what is next for you. But if the Lord has led you this far, like, he's not just going to turn his back on you and abandon you. He only leads his sheep to safe pasture. And maybe you, you're like, you know, maybe you're a freshman. And it's, I mean, you're a few weeks into the semester, and maybe you've really struggled to find community. Now, first of all, it's right here. Um, but also, like, if, you, if you're here and, and it's, it's your first time maybe at UNG, maybe at a different school, and, and you're like, man, I don't know if I can do three more years here. Did the Lord lead you here? He only leads his sheep to safe pasture, and we can trust in that. Here, here's the thing. Contentment is not found in your circumstances. Contentment is found in the level of trust you have in the midst of your circumstances. Like, do you trust your shepherd to lead you to safe pasture? So the first practice that produces contentment is the practice of trusting in the Lord. But let's keep reading. In in verse 4, we read this. One of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. David writes, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. The second practice that produces contentment that I want you to see tonight from this passage is delighting yourself in the Lord. Delight in the Lord. We said trust in the Lord, but not only trust in the Lord, delight yourself in the Lord. Do you guys know that expectations affect contentment? I'll say that again. Expectations affect contentment. You know this. You may not know exactly what I'm saying, but let me tell you how you know this. Has anybody ever like been to a movie that you were just... Like, you were so excited for it. Like, you were just jacked up about it. Um, Like, let's picture the Barbie movie, if you will. A lot of excitement around the Barbie movie. Apparently, there was like this, you know, this like secret um, club of guys across our world that were just waiting for an opportunity to dress up in like hot pink leotards and go to the movies. And so, like, this, this super, super hyped-up movie, and a lot of people went to see it. Maybe for you it was the Barbie movie. Maybe it was another movie. I don't know. But we've all been to a movie that we're, like, just absolutely pumped to see. Well, what often happens to you, or to me, I don't know about you, is that I'll go to a movie that I'm really excited about, and, like, it'll be really good. 
and then I'll get in my car after. And I'm like, huh, that, did, that didn't quite do it for me. You know, like it, it was a great movie, but there's just a level of discontentment. Why? Because when our expectations are up here, like when we set our expectations so high that reality can't actually measure up to it, we'll always be discontent because expectations affect contentment. Maybe for you, it's like it was a vacation, a trip that you went on. Maybe it's a restaurant, like somebody just hyped up a restaurant to you. And when you finally got there, you were like, okay, it was really good. It wasn't as good as you made it out to be because expectations affect contentment. And this is true of our life, too. It's really true of our life. Like if our expectations of, or another way to say this is, if our desires for our life don't line up with where our life actually is, it can be really frustrating. It can be really frustrating. Like many of you, like maybe you said, man, I really wanted to be a college athlete at like a D1 school, and now I'm playing club sports at UNG Delonica. Maybe for, for some of you, it was like, I, I really wanted to get into that school that I applied for, but now I'm stuck with like my third or fourth choice. Maybe for some of you, you were like, man, I was really thinking I would find Mr. or Mrs. Wright by the time I was whatever, you know, junior in college. Maybe you were really hoping that like you could hear wedding bells by this point. Or maybe for, for some of you, like it's something more serious, Maybe for you, you're like, man, I really thought that I would grow up in a house with parents who loved each other and would set a good example. Maybe you thought like, man, I really expected to not have to walk through incredible tragedy before I graduated from high school. I don't know what it is for you, but I know that when expectation is here and desire is in a certain place for our life and reality doesn't measure up to it, it can put us in a place where we look at God and we're like, God, do you even care? Like, do you even see me? There is no way that you can care for me and allow me to go through all that I'm going through now. But what, what's the problem there? The, the problem there is that you are the one setting the expectations. You're basing everything off of your desires. And here's where this verse comes in. Again, one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. David says, do you want to be content? Delight yourself in the Lord. And he'll give you the desires of your heart. And a lot of people read that verse and they're like, that doesn't sound too bad. Like, enjoy God and he'll, he'll give me whatever I want. Like, okay, that's the secret to contentment. I just need to love God more and then he'll give me whatever I want. That is totally opposite of the mindset that, that you need to have if you want real contentment. See, we need to understand what this verse actually means. And it starts with understanding that word desire. It starts with understanding the word desire, or I'm sorry, not desire, delight. It starts with understanding the word delight. See, the word delight, as in delight yourself in the Lord, that word delight, it means to be soft. It, it actually speaks of like being pliable. You can think of like clay in the hands of a potter or a sculptor. To be soft or pliable is really what that word delight actually means. See, delighting in God, it's not about enjoying God. You can enjoy God while you delight in the Lord. Uh, but really what delight means is to be willing to allow the Lord to shape you however he wants into whoever he wants. That's what it looks like to delight yourself in the Lord. It's to take our will to put it in God's hands and to be okay with whatever the outcome is. 
to take our will, to put it in the hands of an almighty God, and to be okay with whatever the outcome is. That's delighting yourself in the Lord. And the second part of that verse says, if you delight yourself in the Lord, if you're soft, pliable, like clay in the hands of a potter, then you will receive the desires of your heart. He'll give you the desires of your heart. And if you read that and you go, oh, well, that means that God will give me whatever I desire, you're reading it the wrong way. See, what what that scripture is actually saying is if you delight yourself in the Lord, if, if you're soft and pliable like clay in the hands of the potter, it's not saying God will give you whatever you desire. It will say that God, it's saying that God will actually give you desires. Like he'll take his desires for you. He'll place them into your heart and make them your desires for you. That's what that verse actually means. If you're soft, pliable, like clay in the hands of a potter, God will take his desires for you and he'll put them into your heart and make them your desires for you. He'll give us the desires of our heart. Not give us whatever we desire. He'll give us desires. He will cause our will for our life to align with his will for our life. I saw this happen at the first time or not the first time in my life, but I, I saw this happen uh, really, really clearly, actually, not too long ago. You know, um, part of my story in getting where I am today, um, I felt called into ministry whenever I was in college. And uh, didn't feel called to ministry before that, but the Lord called me into ministry. I think it was around my freshman year in college. And I, like, I dreamed of being a youth pastor. Like, I loved the idea of working with middle school and high school students. Never pictured myself doing any kind of college ministry. I, I mean, I, like, my desire was that I wanted to work with middle school and high school students. And so, all throughout college, I spent time pursuing that. Like, I, I tried to, do, to take every opportunity that I could to work with middle school and high school students. And it, that desire eventually led me up here to North Georgia working at a summer camp. And um, I'm, I'm chasing down that, that desire, you know, had an opportunity to work with middle school and high school students. And then Christ Place Church came knocking with a job offer. And I'll tell you, like, just to be transparent with you, you know, the offer was, hey, do you want to be the college pastor at Christ Place? And my answer was no. I told them no. Um, I, I, I said, no, like, you know, I feel like the Lord's called me to work with middle and high school students, and so college, not really my thing. And um, so I told him no, and that was kind of that. Well, a um, little bit of time passes, and they came back, and they were like, hey, would you, you know, really want you to consider this? Did you pray about it? And um, I was like, I will, I will consider it. I will pray about it a little bit more than I already did, because I dismissed it pretty quickly at first. Well, I came across this verse, delight yourself in the Lord, soft, pliable, like clay in the hands of a potter. And, and I made the decision, like really for the first time in a long time, Lord, I'm going to take my desires and I'm just going to give them over to you. However you want to use me, you are, I, I will go anywhere, I will do anything at any cost. So ultimately, whatever you call me to, my answer is yes. Not my desires, your desires. And, and like, I, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm totally transparent with you. Once I got there, like delighting myself in the Lord. The Lord legitimately began the process of of shifting my desires. Like he took my desires and and he took his desires and he put them in my heart. And and y'all, like I'm not even joking, like the, the, the desire that I had to pursue middle school, high school ministry, I mean, it was still kind of there, 
But like the Lord really, really put a strong desire in my heart to take this position at Christ's place. And it's led me to what I get to do now every Thursday. And I'm telling you, I would not want to be anywhere else. But it all comes from the process of delighting yourself in the Lord. So I don't know what that looks like for you tonight, but I, I'm telling you, it's a practice that's going to lead you to real contentment. Like maybe tonight, you just need to take your desires and you need to surrender them over to the Lord. Lord, wherever it is you want me to go, whatever it is you want me to do, I, I just want to lay it at your feet. Maybe you've thought like, man, man it's, it's nursing. It's kinesiology. It's, it's something. And, and I know this is like a lot to ask to literally take something that you've been working on for maybe a few years for, for many of you. And to lay them at the Lord's feet. But I know how many times y'all change majors. So, you know, take that. But, but for real. Like when, when you take your desires and you lay them at the Lord's feet. And you give him the freedom to take those desires and do with them whatever he pleases. What you will find is that true contentment follows. Because all of a sudden your life is no longer about your desires and your purposes. It's about God's purpose for your life and what he's going to do through them. So, if our life revolves around our, our own plans, we will not know true contentment. Well, if we keep on reading, in, in verse 5, David is kind of going to recap what he's previously said. Uh, he, he basically gets to the point in verse 5. He says, commit your way to the Lord. It's another way to say, trust in the Lord. Uh, delight yourself in the Lord. And then again, he says, trust in the Lord. Read with me in verse 5. He says, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. Kind of uh, recounting uh, or, or going back over what he's already said. Trust in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord. But then look at what he says in verse 6. In verse 6, he says, he will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. So what kind of justice is David talking about there? Like, like what's he getting at? Well, I told you back whenever we, whenever we started uh, our time together tonight that David was, he was frustrated. He was frustrated because he felt like there was this big injustice that was done to him because of, as he talks about in verse 2, there were these evildoers, people who didn't honor God, that looked like they were really content in life. And he just didn't feel like that was fair. He felt like he had been done an injustice. David fell victim to the comparison trap. And so what, what I think that we can see it, it, through these verses here in 5 and 6, David is, or David is saying, if you trust in the Lord and you delight yourself in the Lord, then there should be no room for discontentment through comparison in your life. None. And Paul would say it like this in the New Testament, Galatians 1.10. Paul says, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Very simply in verse 6, what David is saying, he's saying comparison can't steal your joy if your joy is not found in this life. Comparison can't steal your joy if your joy is not found in this life. There's one more practice that leads to true contentment, and it's found in verse 7. It says, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in this way, over the man who carries out evil desires. The third practice uh, that, that leads to true contentment in your life is to be still before the Lord. To be still before the Lord. You know, one of the reasons that I, I really think that we lack contentment is that we move so fast. 
Like, like we really, we move so fast. We move too fast. Did you know that, um, like, uh, in history, historically speaking, leisure was like, well, let me, let me say it like this. Rich people and leisure went together. Like a slow-paced life and being wealthy were kind of one in the same. Today, being wealthy is equated with busyness. Like those two things are one in the same. But, but society has, has shifted so much. Like we really value busyness. You know, it's like it almost feels like if somebody asks you, hey, how's it going? And, and you don't say, oh, man, I'm really busy. It, it almost feels like you're, you're really not doing what you should be doing with your time. It feels like you're missing something because we value busyness. And a lot of that has to do with, like, the digital revolution. The, the fact that each and every one of us, like, we've got these things in our pockets, smartphones. You guys know about smartphones. I'm not going to, you know, go into all of that. But one thing that's true about our smartphones is that they've changed a lot about us. Like, it has sped up life exponentially. Because now it's like we can access anything from our phone. If we, if we need anything, we can get it right away on our phone. If we're going about life and we don't like what we see, we can just jump into our phones. And it's kind of like an escape for all of life. It speeds life up exponentially. Well, here's the thing. It's, ha- it's had a massive impact on the way that like, we function as human beings. Did you know that back in the year 2000, Uh, scientists did a study trying to figure out what the average attention span for an American was. They found that it was 12 seconds, okay? So not too bad. I thought it would have been more. Don't know how they went about that study, but that's what they said. In 2000, our attention span was 12 seconds on average. Well, they did this study again last year, and our attention span on average as Americans actually went down by four seconds. We are now at eight seconds on average of an attention span. Did you know that a goldfish is at nine seconds? Again, I don't know how they did that study, but again, scientifically speaking, a goldfish is at, has a nine-second attention span. We are losing to a little carnival prize that dies in a few days. Like, I mean, that's, that is not good. Really, there's so much about us that has changed because everything in our life has become about speed, convenience, and busyness. And our relationship with God is one of the casualties of this epidemic. It really is. You know, I think some of us treat God like a drive-thru. Some of us treat God like a drive-thru. Like, like what is a drive-thru? You, you know that you're hungry. You know that you need food. So what do you do? You've, you've got a full plate. You've got things to do, places to be. And so you swing through the drive-thru. It's convenient. You don't have to get out of your car. You can swing right through. It's nice and quick you kind of compromise a little bit on the nutritional value for the most part, right? Uh, but, but it's quick, easy, and convenient. I think a lot of people treat the Lord like that. Like we come to God with our list of requests. We, we know that we need to spend time with him if we're a believer. And so, so we set aside like no time to do it. So we just do it on the run. And, and we come to God really quick with our list of requests. Hey, Lord, um, just want to let you know, here's what went on today. This, this, this happened, this happened, this happened. And um, I really need this, this, and this. And thank you for this, this, and this. And if you could throw a little money my way, like, that would be awesome too. And then five-minute devotion, on to class. Like, that's kind of how we spend our time with the Lord, so many of us. We, we treat the Lord like a drive through Like, we got to go fast. It's got to be convenient. And we compromise a little bit of the nutritional value as well. Here's the thing. The Lord wants to give you real contentment, but it comes through being still before him. Like he wants to give you real contentment, but a lot of times we are moving too fast to actually get it. 
Like, uh, we, we are moving too fast. Our, our, this pace of life is too quick for us to actually get it. I want to give you tonight one very simple way that you can take a step towards real contentment. And, and that's this. Spend five minutes in silence before the Lord. Spend five minutes being still before the Lord. Every, every single day. Five minutes of silence before the Lord. And, and let me tell you, this is easiest to do in the mornings. Uh, because the mornings are a time that really, there's not a lot fighting for your time in the morning. The further your day progressive, or progresses, the more things are fighting for your time. So it's easiest to do in the morning. Now, here's what I know. Most of you are not morning people, right? Is that true? Like most of you, five minutes of silence can turn into five minutes of sleep real quick, okay? And so many of you are not morning people. But I don't want you to picture when I say five minutes of silence, like I'm not saying go like sit in a corner in your house and like cross your legs and like that's not what I'm saying. I'm, I, I literally just mean slow down. Clear your mind of everything that you have coming up. Clear your, clear your mind of everything that has happened to you the past week and just reflect on the Lord. Reflect on his goodness. Reflect on his faithfulness. And just be still for five minutes. Like, just clear your mind. And I'm telling you, the result of that is he's going to show you some things. And, and real contentment is going to begin to take place because your relationship with the Lord is going to go to new depths. Like, you haven't seen it in forever because you're, you, we move so quickly. Did you know throughout Scripture, amazing moves of God happens when God's people are still before him? Incredible things happen when God's people are still before him. Did you know that like literally the Red Sea was parted on the heels of God's people being still before him? Like the Israelites were running from captivity in Egypt. The Egyptian army was right behind them. And God tells them, hey, just relax. Like just be still. Literally in Exodus 14, 14, it says the Lord will fight for you. You have to only be silent. Amazing things happen. Moves of God happen when God's people are still before him. The practices that we talked about tonight, trust in the Lord, delight yourself in the Lord, and be still before the Lord. Those are three practices that can produce real contentment in your life. And I, 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 my hope, my prayer is that that. All of us in this room, like, we're not just settling for counterfeit contentment. That we're not just trying to fool ourselves into thinking, like, man, yeah, I got this all together. Meanwhile, like, if we were to really be honest with ourselves, like, we're the furthest thing from content. Real contentment is offered to us. Like, we have the ability to get rid of the counterfeit in our life if we could simply trust in the Lord, delight in the Lord, and be still before the Lord. You know, there was one person in Scripture who put this all together perfectly. And uh, that person is Job. Job, which is, you might, you might think that's kind of a, a weird person to choose, but really, Job put all of these three practices uh, into uh, practice in his life. He, he, he was a perfect example of trusting in the Lord, delighting in the Lord, and being still before the Lord. If you don't know the story of Job, I'll close with this. Job uh, is, is a book of the Bible. Um, it, it, the main character is the name of the book. And in the beginning of the book of Job, Satan comes to God. And Satan says, hey God, there is this, this guy. He's following you with all of his heart. And I want the ability to, to test him. 
I, I want to show you that if I was actually allowed to do some things in Job's life, that he would turn his back on you. And so God says, yeah, sure, put him to the test. And so God gives Satan the ability to go after Job. And Satan takes Job's family. Satan takes Job's health. Like Job's life falls apart. Right, right within a span of, of a, such a short amount of time. It all falls apart. And Job's friends show up, and Job's friends are, are basically trying to tell Job, hey, Job, you deserve all this discontentment. Like, you don't deserve to be content because of the sin that you've committed. And, and Job's hearing that, and he doesn't know what to think, and he's angry at God. And finally, like, it just all boils up towards the end of the book. And Job finally just, like, gets on his knees before God, and he's like, God, do you even care about me? I need to hear an answer. Like, I'm demanding you speak to me. Give me an answer now. And he does. God says, Job, you, you want an answer? Here it is. And his answer is like some of my favorite chapters in all of Scripture. God says, Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Like, have, have you ever caused the morning light to rise in the sky? Do you know where I keep the storehouses of snow? One of my favorite questions that God asks Job, he says, do you know where the mountain goats give birth? It's really in there. You should read the Bible. It's great. But he, he's asking Job, he's like, Job, he's showing him, I know so much more than you. And you can literally read Job go, whoa. Like, this God is so much bigger than, than my mind could even comprehend. And Job begins to trust well, you read a little bit further, and, and God's continuing to, to answer Job, and, and, and Job starts to see, okay, this God that's so big, not only is he incredibly, incredibly big and, and so much more powerful than I could have ever comprehended, but like he has plans for me, and those plans for me are far bigger than I could have ever imagined. So, so I need to delight myself in the Lord. He begins to delight. All this takes place at the end of this book. And then, this is crazy, in chapter 40 of, of the book of Job, you can literally read the moment that Job finally looks at God and goes, God, I've spoken once, I've spoken twice, I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. Like, I'm just going to stop and I'm just going to listen to you. He's still before the Lord. He trusts in the Lord, he delights in the Lord, and he's still before the Lord. And it's on the heels of that that Job literally experiences more contentment than he has ever had in his entire life. But he put those three practices into place in his life. Trust in the Lord. Delight in the Lord. And be still before the Lord. I wonder what God would do in your life if you put those practices uh, into play. Like, like if you truly trusted in the Lord. If you truly delighted in the Lord, like you truly said, Lord, I just want to give my desires over to you. I know I've been pursuing these, like uh, certain things in my life for like two, three years at this point. I just want to make sure, Lord, I just want to lay my desires before you and give you permission to say, God, well, like, uh, or I, I will change it up as much as I need to. I want to give you permission to say that, Lord. I want to be still. Like, like whatever those practices are for you, maybe, maybe you're better at one than you are some others, but tonight, I wonder, I wonder what it is for you. 
Here, here's ultimately the thing that all this hinges on. You will not know real contentment if you do not have a real relationship with Jesus. You, you will not. You cannot. It all hinges on knowing him. And so tonight, if you've never made the decision to do that, I want to give you that opportunity. I'll be standing down front here during this next song. The band's about to lead us in a time of response. So if you've, if you've never made the decision to place your faith in Jesus, to start a relationship with him, you have the opportunity to do that tonight. I'll be right down here. I'd love to answer any questions that you have. Our girls director, Anne-Marie, will be right down here. She can answer any questions that you have, ladies. Tonight, as we enter the, into this time of response, maybe some of you need to commit for the first time in a long time to just trust in the Lord. Maybe some of you need to just stop and, and lay your desires for your own life before the Lord and say, Lord, do what you want. I am fully yours. I will do anything. I will go anywhere at any cost. Maybe some of you just need to stop and be still. Whatever your response is, I'm going to invite us all to stand, and I'm going to pray for us, and we'll worship together. God, we love you, and Lord, we're so thankful that you offer us real contentment. God, that you offer us um, Lord, a life that is full, a life that is abundant, a life that uh, is meaningful and purposeful. But God, it's not based on our purposes. It's based on your purposes for us. And Lord, I pray that ultimately we would be so uh, content to follow you wherever it is that you lead us. God, I pray that these, these students in here would know true contentment. God, it's so much better than, than any sort of counterfeit, any convincing that we do for ourselves. Lord, I pray that, that these students would truly know what it looks like to be content in you for the rest of their life. God, we love you. We trust you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.